0: Thank you for listening to Christian Challenge at K State's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow us on Instagram or visit our website. Hope you enjoy this episode. Well, we've been um, moving our way through First Corinthians on Thursday nights, and we've been calling this series Unentitled. So I'm sure you're aware Finding Freedom in the Shadow of the Cross. And I hope you're connecting. I hope you're enjoying this series. I know that God's been using it in some amazing ways in some of your lives. So, yeah, one of the reasons that we were drawn to 1 Corinthians, we planned this in the summer, and we were prayerful and thinking about what to preach through, and, and something from 1 Corinthians, just the theme through the letter really caught our attention, and we mentioned it in a lot of our sermons. It's this verse... In chapter 6, 19 and 20, and it says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And we preached through that, Jim preached that maybe three or four weeks ago, and, and just in a lot of our sermons, we've come back to that idea, and that's where this idea of unentitled, like what a message that we all need today. Such an entitled culture, this idea that we belong to Jesus. We're not even our own. Every aspect of our lives is his. You know, a lot of um, preachers shy away from 1 Corinthians, so you probably haven't heard it preached through um, very many times because it's a really challenging letter to understand. The church that this letter was written to in Corinth was kind of a mess. They had a lot going on, a lot of interesting things. And really, we have to remember that when we read, especially the New Testament letters, we're reading like somebody's mail, and there's like back and forth going on. And um, we don't have the other part of the dialogue. And that'll be really clear in our passage tonight. Um, And so it can be very confusing And um, I thought, man, Robbie handled last week so well this head coverings issue. It's not something that is in our context that we think about very much, but but man, it was very relevant for them. And just seeing last week the the beauty of God's intention for us as male and female, and how that's from God. So tonight, we got another doozy. We're going to handle the sacredness of singleness. Say that one six times fast, right? The sacredness of singleness. And so this is really relevant. Pretty much everyone in here is unmarried, right? There's maybe a couple exceptions. Good for you guys. Um, But pretty much everyone else in here that's not the exception is kind of worried about it. It's like, I'm unmarried and I don't like that fact. I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm anxious about it. Praying about it. I'm hoping for it, And let me tell you, over the years of doing campus ministry, I have talked to so many guys that I disciple, and I have spoken to them many times about girls and dating and God's will for their life and how to know that and just a host of other questions. It is on your mind, and I know that. And that's because in our society today, this age, your early 20s, is normally kind of when people find their spouse. And so there's this like good amount of internal pressure that you are putting on yourself. And also there's a a decent amount of external pressure. I mean, let's be honest, you're about to go home for Thanksgiving break and someone in your family is gonna say, have you found a boy there at (laughs) K-State? I mean, right? Someone's gonna do that. We all have that family member and it's coming. You like the accent? Is that what you guys like? Yeah. So, you know. I got more. I got more coming. It's just a thing. Maybe you're here tonight and you're, like, nearing the end of college and you haven't dated anybody. Or you have and it didn't work out and you're single and you don't know what you're going to do. And you might, like, be freaking out a little bit. Like, what if I don't find somebody? So, how do we how do we live in this tension, right? There's this like, tension internally. We, we desire to be you know, with someone. We desire companionship and love. But then there's this external pressure like pushing us towards it, and we feel like maybe I should try to figure this out. So I know, I know some of you are, are probably really disappointed with this part of your life, that you've been waiting and praying and hoping and it just hasn't happened. And you feel like God hasn't come through for you. I remember I was uh, sitting with a guy out in the union probably like five years ago. And, and that was a huge deal to him. He had like prayed and believed that God would, would bring a girlfriend. And it just didn't happen. And his faith was like shaken. And so he actually kind of turned his back on his faith for a while. And so I know this is a real thing. I know there's a lot of emotions. I start talking about this and the future and like marriage and all these things. And I'm sure a lot of emotions have just raised in a lot of you emotions of fear. You know, maybe you're afraid of that. Maybe there's insecurity, like you wonder if you're enough for somebody. Maybe there's hurt, a past relationship that's really painful that you're carrying in tonight, maybe there's some anger with God or disappointment or even confusion and you just don't know what this looks like for you. So let's lean in tonight. I don't think it's going to be hard. I think this is pretty relevant for all of you. Let's lean in and see what God's word has to say about the sacredness of singleness. So before we read our passage, I need to set it up just a little bit. You can open your Bible. Go ahead and open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that's where we're going to be tonight. And this is a major transition point in the letter. The first six chapters, Paul is like head-on addressing things that he has heard. And you'll find that in chapter 1, verse 11, or chapter 5, verse 1. He'll say things like, it is even reported that this is happening among you. Or in 111, he'll say, People from Chloe's household have told me this. And the first six chapters, Paul is not happy because of the issues he's hearing about. They are divided, they're like drawing lines and, and not having community with each other, and they are approving of sexual sin. And so you've heard messages about that this semester, like that is what was going on in this church, and Paul heard about it, and he goes straight at it, and his tone is very authoritative in the first six chapters. But then we get to this hinge point, and 7 verse 1 says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And so now we got to remember, we're dealing with somebody else's mail, and so apparently Paul received a letter from the Corinthians, and they asked him a lot of questions, And one of those questions, if you keep reading verse one in chapter seven, is their question was, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's an interesting statement. And what was going on is just so much sexual immorality, even in the church, and then division. And so some people were saying, let's just get rid of this thing. Like, let's not be married. Let's not have sex. Let's just be chaste and not pursue any of that stuff. And so Paul says, no, you're going too far. So a couple weeks ago, Brian spoke about this passage at the beginning of seven and talked about sex in marriage and God's design for it, that it's a good thing. And so yeah, you you should go listen to that message if you weren't here, great message. And so just even in our passage, Paul is, is like lifting up the goodness of marriage. But then he says something really curious in verse seven. He says, I wish that, all were as I am myself, which he means, I wish all of you guys were single, because Paul is single when he writes this. And then he says, but each has his own gift from God. And so this is the verse, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but that there is a gift of singleness. And so in the way that Paul writes about this, he uses the exact same word he's going to use in a couple chapters when he talks about spiritual gifts. And so the gift of singleness is like a spiritual gift. Well, what does that mean? That can be kind of confusing, right? So what is this idea? I think what it means and for Paul in his season of life is that for some believers, for various reasons, either it's like their sense of calling and purpose is so strong and so acute that they just know they shouldn't marry, I think for some believers, the, the desire or the need is not really strong to marry for whatever reason, and then maybe it's just like becomes apparent, like this is not God's will to marry, and, and for some people, this is a gift from God, and if it's a gift from God, it's a good thing. Okay, I'm sure the last like 30 seconds of things I said, some of you are like, the blood pressure is rising, like I don't want that gift. please no, can I tell God not not me? And I get it, I get it. And I don't know exactly what to tell you, but I do wanna tell you that scripture is like profoundly balanced. And so the the rest of the Bible, most of the Bible is so pro-marriage. And so if you desire marriage, if you're in this season of life and it's a longing to be married, that is from God, that is a good thing. So let me, let me show you that. Scripture is very balanced. So Genesis 2, the beginning of the Bible, God creates Eve because it's not good for Adam to be alone. This is a good thing that he creates Eve. And then God officiates the first marriage. Like he brings them together and he oversees it. And, and it's, man, God loves marriage. Then this verse in Proverbs 18 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. That's a cool verse. Marriage is a good thing. Jesus, when you follow Jesus around in the Gospels and his teaching on divorce and marriage, he has such a high view of marriage that the disciples, like his people that really want to follow him, their minds are blown. It's so countercultural, the way Jesus thought about marriage, that they said, I don't know if we can handle that, Jesus. This is too much for us. They say, it's maybe better to not marry because you think so highly of what marriage means. And then we have Paul, so the same author that wrote um, 1 Corinthians 7, what we're going to read, he also wrote Ephesians 5, which lays out this beautiful truth that, that Christian marriage is a picture of the gospel to the world. And so Paul really thinks highly of marriage. So, and then even just one other place in 1 Timothy, um, Paul tells young widows, so they were widowed at a young age. And he tells them, he tells Timothy, who's leading the church, he's like, hey, they need to remarry. That would be good for them. And so we can see from Scripture, it's really balanced. So we have a great evidence and good idea that God loves marriage. But what we see in First Corinthians 7 is that singleness is not a subpar existence. And so I want, what I want you to hear, I want you to hear this really clearly. You are not more spiritual if you are married. And you are not more spiritual if you are single. That is not what this is about. Paul lived a single life. He was aware of the blessings. Jesus was single his whole life, never pursued marriage, and we're supposed to emulate him. So if you have the gift of singleness, it is not a subpar existence. And that's what we're really going to be diving into. So with all of that said, that was a long intro. Here we go. Verse 25. Read it with me. This first paragraph, Paul writes, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife." But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. There's a lot to explain here. Um, Just first of all, in in the first verse, verse 25, remember the pattern in 7.1. He said, now concerning the matters you wrote about. So he's dealing with one of their questions, and the best reconstruction of their question is this. Well, Paul, what about the young women and the young men that are promised in marriage but have not yet married? Should they get married or should they hold off from marriage? That's what he's talking about. That's what they are asking Paul about. And so what's really interesting from the study I've done, I talked about this briefly, like the first six chapters of Corinthians are really authoritative. Paul's like, I've heard this is happening and it needs to stop. And now when he starts answering their questions, it's a lot of like, I think it'd be like this, or he's like, well, it's good, but it's also good here. And you can even see that. He says, if they marry, it's not sin. And so he's kind of saying yes and yes. Like, should they stay single? Yes. Should they marry? Yes, I think so. And so that's kind of what he's doing. It's not, it's not the same level of just like, boom, I'm coming at you. And you can see that even, he says, I have no command from the Lord in that verse 25. What he means is, Jesus didn't say anything specifically about your question. So I can't quote Jesus on this. But then he says, hey, I'm a trustworthy leader, I've got opinions. That's basically what he says. So here's my opinion. Okay, so let's look at verse 26. Um, This is probably the key um, to understanding the interpretation of this passage. What is the present distress? He says, in view of the present distress. There's different opinions on this. So um, what I believe after doing some research is that most likely because of the Greek language used, this was something they were going through right now. And so it wasn't like this major future big problem, but it was something in the Corinthian context that they were living in that he was talking about, and he said this present distress, and so that helps us as we interpret it, like when you read the verse, do not seek a wife, that was, that was hard for me as I was doing study because like I disciple young guys in this ministry, and I tell them like, hey, have you thought about like dating somebody, like I kind of sometimes I'm like, maybe you should seek a wife. And so I'm reading this, and I'm kind of thinking, like, man, am I in sin? Like, am I just missing the boat? So we are pro-marriage at challenge. I've said that before from the stage, right? And I was not wrong. As I've done this study, I believe that this is very contextual, that something is happening in Corinth where Paul says, I think right now it may be best to wait. And so you can understand that. There are seasons in life because of just what's coming or what you're in right now where your community would probably say, hey, you should pump the brakes, bro. Like, I don't think it's time to dive into a marriage, right? We all have that feeling sometime with friends. And I think that's kind of what's going on here. So let's look at this do not seek a wife verse. Um, What was so good for me is this is the same word, the word seek, that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's the same word Paul uses in Colossians 3, where he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So do not seek a wife. I think a way we can apply this verse is that we shouldn't make marriage and love and companionship and finding someone, we should not make that the number one priority in our life. We shouldn't orient our life around it and and like make every decision that we make about finding someone. We shouldn't be obsessed with it. But man, isn't that so hard to do, right? I mean, just the it's just exciting. It's exciting to, to be liked by someone. It's exciting to try and to see. And so we can get obsessed with it, and it's really easy. I think as I've been praying for tonight and just studying this passage and thinking about all of you, what God's really put on my heart to pray for you is just like maybe tonight could be a turning point in your life where like up until now, you've kind of had this like clenched fist and you're like, I will get married. I will have kids. I will have this kind of life. And this is kind of the posture of your soul about this issue. And man, if tonight God could move and speak to you and just like have you just open your hands to him and say, God, I'm yours, whatever you want. And that's what I've been praying a big part of my story, I mean, ever since I was like 12 years old, which is kind of sad to say, because I've got a 12 year old daughter and I do not want this for her. But when I was 12 years old, I was driven to be liked by girls. And I made my life about it. And I just sought that as much as I could. And so like sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, I was like dating all the time. And those relationships were hilarious, right? <laughs> I remember Meredith Mercer, okay? This girl is from Texas, and she's very tall, and I was very short, and we dated for like two weeks. And we were walking, and then all of a sudden she walks up next to me, we're still dating, at least I thought we were, and she goes, it was good while it lasted. And boom, she's gone. And I'm just like heartbroken, like, no. But really, it wasn't about Meredith, because I just... I just sought another girl. I mean, it was just, I was driven. It was all about what I was about. Constantly dating different people and letting my whole world be dictated by that. And so maybe some of you can, can relate to that. I mean, it brought me no life. It was an empty thing. And so I did that even in college. So I got to, to challenge, I was a part of challenge. I started dating a girl my sophomore year. And that poor girl, I mean, I was putting so much pressure on her, like I needed her to fulfill my identity, like I needed her to to tell me that I was good enough, and I put so much pressure on that relationship. it was so awkward, it was so awkward, because um, she really didn 't like me that much, and it became clear after about ten months of trying so hard, and God brought freedom to me from that and so I feel so ill-equipped to talk about this because I was like on a mission, not from God, right? <laughs> I was on a mission to, to find love. And, and my sophomore, my junior year, after we'd broken up and we had some time single, I'd had some time single, I had this moment where I was an RA in Moore Hall and I'd been on multiple trips overseas and I felt like God was maybe leading my life that way. And I just was like looking in the mirror and I had this moment where I, I, I looked in the mirror and I said, God, for your kingdom, if you don't ever want me to get married, I'll do it. And it was the first time in my life I meant it. And I think, like, I feel ill-equipped because then my hands were open. And then about four months later, I started dating my wife. And so I don't know if it's just like God wanted me to open my hands. And then he's like, here, I'm gonna put Erica right in your hands, But it was a huge shift in my perspective. And that's what Paul's talking about. Look at verse 29 through 31. It's this like, he goes on this list of like, hey, if you're married, act as if you're not. If you're rejoicing, act as if you're not. If you're mourning, so he's just kind of listing these things. I think what he's trying to say is like, have a perspective that's eternal. Because marriage is momentary. Like the most I could be married to Erica is probably 50 years or so. But I'm gonna live eternally With Christ and marriage is not in heaven Jesus tells us that he's like you're not gonna be married in heaven mark 12 and so what I want you to hear from this is your life is not defined most of all by if you marry or not your life is defined most of all by Christ that is what matters and so my first point you were not made for marriage That's not your design. You were not just made only to be married. And then once you're married, you like reach this pinnacle of existence. No, you were made for the Lord. And that is the purpose. But it's so easy to live like we were made for marriage, right? I mean, my story just filled with it. And so I have an illustration from college. This was really meaningful, probably part of that surrender moment in my life. I remember a preacher that wasn't in the challenge community, he came and preached, and I remember him sharing about this idea, and he was talking about what is it like when we're trying to suck the life out of other people, especially in dating relationships. And so I got a picture, um, this picture here. This is you. So if you're a guy, you're an adult male tick. And if you're a girl, you're an adult female tick, right? You guys are adults, so here we are. And his illustration, he said, People who are trying to get life from each other. He had a southern accent, so I'll use another accent. He goes, you know what that's like? That's like two ticks and no dog. (laughs) And it was so vivid for me. It's like I'm trying to suck the life out of something that has nothing for me. And we're just two parasites. We're just trying to find life in each other, just sucking life. There's nothing there. And there's nothing for you. So it's exhausting. And it totally wears out the other person. They feel all the pressure. And then it doesn't work, right? I bet a lot of us could tell stories of relationships that were like that. So I got a picture. This is a healthy tick. There you go. That's a good old healthy tick. Just you got to find Jesus and be a parasite on Jesus. And you will be fat and healthy. That's what I'm talking about. Two ticks. And no dog. All right. But I'm serious. That, that illustration really helped me because I was absolutely doing that. I was absolutely trying to do that. All right, let's get that picture off the stage. Yeah. Hey, get it off. Okay. Let's keep reading. Um, we're in verse 32. Here we go. I want you to be free from anxieties. but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul gets really practical here, but I think the key verse is that last verse. He says, listen, I'm not saying this to lay a restraint on you. He's not saying that marriage is sin and we shouldn't ever do it as believers. But what he is saying is he wants you to be undivided. Let's, let's leave that, that scripture up there. He wants you to be undivided in your devotion to the Lord. And that's really what he's getting after there. So I want to illustrate this and, and just show you my family picture. So um, I got a family picture here. We just took this like the other day over by Tuttle Creek. So this is the Sap clan. These are my people. Um, I've been married to Erica almost 20 years. In, in May, it'll be 20 years. And it's been such a joy, such a gift to my life in so many ways. But let me tell you, go to that next slide, we're six sinners under one roof. And that's, that's a mess. <laughs> it's a gift, but man, let me tell you, there's a lot of sin going on. And, and our sin kind of gets on each other's sin, and it's just like, oh man, I don't know what's going on sometimes. And it is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And so when I was single, I was a sinner. I still am, by the way. And then I got married, and I'm still a sinner. And so then Erica and I were trying to do life together, and it's hard. There's, there's hardships involved. And then these little people start showing up. And, I mean, they got sin issues, like, out of the womb. That is the way of it, right? They're born in sin. And so we're just trying to figure it out. And, and really, you know, the emphasis in this paragraph is he's saying, like, you got to be undivided in your devotion to the Lord. And so can you be devoted to the Lord in marriage? Absolutely you can. Absolutely. But it's harder. And I think that's what Paul's getting at. It's harder. It's more challenging. There's more anxieties. There's more issues. There's more needs. There's more things to provide for. And so what does this mean for you guys when in this single stage of your life? I think what it means for you is to embrace the sacred moment that you're in. You are single right now. Most of you are unmarried. And the Lord wants to work in you to have an undivided devotion to him. And if you just sit in this moment and you, all you do is daydream and wish and hope that you were in a different moment, You are going to miss what God wants to do in your life right here. And he wants you to be undivided in your singleness, in your devotion. He wants your whole heart to be for him. So I just implore you, give Christ all that you are. When you think about, like, life decisions, when you think about your summer or where you're going to live next year, who your roommates are, what your major is, all of these things, just, like, orient them around Jesus, don't orient them around like being a wife someday or having kids someday. Like right here, God wants all that you are. There's a really great illustration about this. It's like if we're running a race, if life is a race and we're running, you just gotta gaze at Christ. You gotta have your eyes fixed on Christ. You are running a race for Christ. And then every now and then, just give a little glance. So I'm running. I'm like, okay, okay. Who is running this kind of race? Like, who's running all they are for Christ? And and maybe God's drawing your heart to that person for the future. But our gaze has got to be Christ. If you're running a race to get married, you may get that, but you may be totally unhappy in that marriage. Marriage is not the point. And so God wants you to live an undivided life. Do you see the difference there? Okay, let's finish up. We got verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then... He who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. And you can see there just the same nature, like Paul's saying yes and yes, right? Marriage is good. Singleness is good. I think what we can learn here is God wants his church to be pure, and marriage is a part of that purity. So he's saying, hey, listen, if this is challenging, like purity is challenging, get married. Now, I don't think it's wise for, for believers to, like, like, be engaged for a really long time or be dating for a really long time and struggle and struggle and struggle and just kind of, like, keep messing up and keep living in that, that weirdness of, like, well, we think we're going to get married, but maybe, like, five years from now, we'll just keep doing this thing. Like, I think, I think there's a lot of wisdom in not living that way. And so Paul says here, he, he really upholds marriage. He says, listen, marriage is a good answer. that. Okay, so to wrap this all up, I want to just tell you things that I have said. Here's what I want you to take away from tonight. First of all, you were not made for marriage. You were made for the Lord. Your main purpose in life is to live for Him. Marriage is momentary, temporary. It's not something God's given us to center our whole lives around and hold on to with clenched fists. And so if you're obsessed with it, if it's all you can think about, Finding love, finding somebody, you're not going to be satisfied. You're going to be like a tick that is totally unsatisfied. The second thing, seek to live an undivided life right now while you are single. Like right now, this moment is sacred in your life. And so embrace it. God wants to work in you while you're single. And then the third thing, this is just um, really the application, is, is just that moment Um, that I had in Moore Hall, like, man, would you have that moment? And so just like thinking about like not having a clenched fist around this part of your life, but living with open hands. This may be a crisis of belief for some of you. Some of you may be just sitting there thinking, can Jesus really satisfy my heart's desires for companionship, my needs to be loved? And I just wanna say he can't, he can't. So I mentioned it at the beginning of my, my talk, like when I was telling my story, um, I just feel so unqualified to talk about this. Thankfully, the, the word of God is what you need, not someone who's like totally lived it perfectly, right? Because I have not. But I did want, um, just to, to put before you, um, Melody Richeson, so she's gonna come and share from her life, and I think you guys are gonna be so blessed by that. So I'm also gonna have the band come on up um, and, and we'll worship soon. So um, why don't you welcome Melody? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Um, well, Nate asked me to share because I'm single um, and I've, I've never been married. And when I was sitting where you guys were sitting years ago in a college ministry, um, I just always assumed I would get married. That's what people do, right? They, get, they grow up, they get married. Um, so when I was in high school, I dated. Uh, I went off to college. Uh, fairly soon after I got to college, I met a really nice guy. We started dating, and we got engaged, and then we broke up. And that was a very painful and confusing time in my life, and it was really hard. And I'd be happy to tell you any of you that story, but we don't have time for that tonight. That's too long in detail. Um, but what I will say is during my time in college, I was a part of a Christian ministry, Christian challenge, and I was growing in Christ. I was, you know, learning to love the Word of God. I was learning to abide in Christ, trying to learn to trust Him in small decisions and large decisions. And it was great. I I was having a great, great time. Um, I graduated from college, uh, launched out into adulthood. I was so excited to follow Jesus. And I got to serve on the mission field for a year. Um, I came back. I went to graduate school. Then I felt like God was calling me to campus ministry. So I wanted to be a part of a Christian Challenge staff. So I ended up going to Northern California. I spent six years in California on Christian Challenge staff. Then I came back to the Midwest, and I was on staff at the University of Nebraska for 10 years on Christian Challenge staff. So my, my 20s, I would just say, were rich and full of meaning and purpose. And I was single, and I was sad about being single because I really wanted to be married. But I also felt really fulfilled and rich. I felt like what I was doing was mattering and it was counting, and I was happy to serve Christ in that way. On a very bitter, cold January morning in Nebraska, I had this moment with God. I was sitting in my chair early in the morning, had my coffee, my Bible, my journal. And I had my box of Kleenex because I was talking to the Lord. I'm starting a new year again in January, and I'm single still. And I was praying to the Lord about that. Throughout my 20s, even though I had felt like, man, life is good, and I'm happy, and I'm excited about everything I'm doing, there was always that little thread of, man, but I would love to be married. God, I long to be married. But that's all right. I can trust you. I just kept you know, trying to, like, Nate used the illustration of keeping your hands open before the Lord. So I was trying to do that, uh, and I feel like I did that in my 20s. When I kind of crept up on age 30, I felt my hands closing on that. Like, oh, wow, I'm almost 30 years old. Like, where is the guy? You know, where is the husband? So I was sitting in this chair having my quiet time on this morning, and I was shedding a lot of tears just talking to the Lord about singleness, where I was at. And I was reading in Ephesians. I was journaling and reading in Ephesians. And I came to Ephesians 1, 17. And it says, if I can remember uh, how to quote it accurately, Uh, this is Paul, he's praying for the Ephesians. And he says, uh, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. And man, that verse just really pricked my heart and I, was, I started journaling about it. I'm like, Lord, I really want to know you. I want to know you more and more and deeper and better. And I found myself writing, and I said in in, in ink in my journal, Lord, I want to know you even if, and I remember I, like, stopped writing because I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I about to write? Like, I started to write even if I don't get married. And I was like, whoa, I think I better pause a minute here because do I mean that? Is that? Am I really serious? Am I going to write that in my journal? And I kind of had to process. And, and then I was like, Lord, you are worth it. You are better than marriage. What matters most in life is not that I get married. It's that I know you. And I want to know you. I want to know you as intimately as I can. So I, I wrote that in my journal. And that was kind of a marker moment for me where I said, I'm reopening my hands to God. Lord, whatever you want with my life, I want to give it to you. If you'll please just let me know you on a deep and intimate level. And I won't say I haven't struggled with singleness since then, because that would not be true. Uh, I have. Uh, But I will say that was probably a moment for me that was kind of a marker that said, okay, I've been there to that altar and said, I, I know that marriage is not the end goal. The end goal of my life is to know Jesus with all my heart. So I just want to say a word to you, if I can, to piggyback on Nate a little bit. You know, some of you might end up being in a longer season of singleness than you expect to be. Maybe you won't get married. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll remain unmarried for two years or five years or ten years. And I know some of you are saying, oh, Lord, please, don't let me have a season as long as Melody. <laughs> please, please, please. I understand that. Um, and Nate talked about the verse where uh, in, earlier in the chapter in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul talks about singleness being a gift. I confess to you, that has been a really hard verse for me. I'm like, what in the world? It's like, it's like getting socks for Christmas. You know, is it a gift? Well, yeah, it's a gift, but it's not exactly what I wanted. You know, it's not like the best gift. Um, so I just want to add to what Nate said by saying I think I, I have come to think of the gift of singleness as like a stewardship. Like, if I believe in the sovereignty of God, then I believe that everything that comes to my life comes to me either by his direct design or his permission. Nothing gets to me that God doesn't direct or allow, right? And so singleness is what God has given to me. And I'm expected to steward that as from him for his glory. He's given it to me for his glory. If you get married, then your marriage is something that you are responsible to steward in a way that brings God glory, right? If you have good health or if you're sick a lot, if you're wealthy or if you don't have much, whatever your situation in life, God gives it to you as a stewardship and he expects us to display by our life his goodness, his faithfulness, um, his sufficiency for us in whatever circumstances he gives us. So um, I just would like to close my part by giving you two quick verses that have been really meaningful to me. There are days in singleness that are lonely and hard. Um, I know there's hard days of loneliness in marriage because you know, your spouse can't meet all of your needs, right? So for me, I think um, if, uh, Hebrews 13.5 has just been a, a key verse in my life uh, where God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Like Nate said a while ago, he and Erica can probably expect to be married around 50 years, something like that. One of them, I'm sad to say today, is going to die first. That spouse will not always be there. But guess what? Jesus will. He will never leave you or forsake you all the way into eternity. And then lastly, Psalm 90, verse 14. You guys know this because we sing it a lot. Uh, It says, you know, satisfy us. I can't say it except the way we sing it. It's a weird (laughs) grammatical thing. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. I just want to say to you as a person who is 65 years old and has been single my whole life, Jesus really is enough. He does satisfy. I don't have everything I want in life, and neither do you, and neither does Nate, but Jesus satisfies on a deep, deep level. He's enough.
0: That was awesome, man, let me tell you. Thank you, Melody, for bringing that. Okay, here's how I want us to respond. We're gonna worship, but I just want you to take this moment and to really personalize this. So I'm gonna kinda mess with you guys a little bit. What I want you to do is just lean forward, and I want you to take a posture of like closed fists, maybe two, two fists like this over your heart, and I want you to think about your dreams and your hopes for your future, And I want you to think about that. And we're gonna sing a song. Feel free to sing, talk to the Lord, do some business with him. And when you feel like with God, you could say, Lord, with my future in this area, I am totally surrendered. You just open your hands and you can stand up. And this will just be a way for you to like, if you don't feel that, if you're not there, just stay in your seat. But at least you know it, Right? And the Holy Spirit is here, and he knows you. He knows all of your story. I don't know any of those things. And the Spirit is good, and he is leading your life. So let's just take a minute to, like, physically represent what we're hoping happens in our hearts, okay, as we worship. so.